What's up, Chapel family? I hope you've had an incredible, incredible Christmas season with your friends, with your family. Hopefully you had some great memories, great traditions, shared your love uh, with one another, but also hopefully you've beheld the reason for the season. You've beheld, you paid attention to Jesus, his message, his hope, his promises for you and I. He came, but he's also returning again. And so for my family, and from our chapel family, from our staff, our elders, our team, just want to say Merry Christmas to all of you guys. And we're looking forward to a very, very interesting and exciting, hope-filled, promise-filled 2021. We're about to get right into this message. Before we do, could you do me a huge, huge favor? It's almost like your Christmas gift to chapel. Could you right now, if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, that thumbs up button, and you may say, well, why is that? Well, that helps the algorithms on YouTube send our message to more people that may not normally find it. Also, in that comment section, drop a comment. Just, hey, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm from Kentucky. I'm from California. Or, you know, I'm from that third world country of Coleman, Alabama. Just leave a comment there in the section. Also, if you're on Facebook, hit that like button, hit that share button, and leave a comment as well. All those things help get the word that's in chapel out into the world. And so I just want to say thank you for, you know, helping us in this whole digital world get outside of our normal Walls. If your Bible's you can turn to Joshua chapter 3, we're going to sit there as we kind of end out 2020, me and my staff and the team, we kind of been sitting around thinking about what we've learned, what we've seen, what we've experienced in 2020, but what God is doing in 2021. And we've been talking about beholding and paying attention to it. Isaiah 43, 18 says this, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old, for behold, remember, pay attention. That's God saying, I'm trying to get your attention, make you look at something. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Meaning God is doing something new, but if you're not paying attention, if you're not beholding what he's doing, then you'll miss out on what God is doing new. And he says, I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I believe 2021 is going to be a, a very powerful year for the church Next week, uh, our first Sunday of 2021, I'm going to unpack some of the things I believe God is speaking to his church and how that impacts you and our chapel family. And so this whole thing, God doing something new, reminded me of just America and, and Israel and all these connections between the two. And if you remember way back in, in maybe elementary, maybe middle school or high school days of American history, the journey of Lewis and Clark. Remember, Lewis and Clark had this great commission from, from Thomas Jefferson to really find a connection between the Mississippi River and the Pacific Ocean. They wanted to open up trade. They needed a water route or a highway between the, the world they knew and the world they didn't know. And so Thomas Jefferson sent them out with $2,400, $2,450 men to go on a two-year journey. I mean, that's not a whole lot of resources to discover a whole new land and discover this route. And Thomas Jefferson actually said, your whole mission— is to discover this, this water route between the Missouri, the source of the Missouri River, and the Pacific Ocean to open up trade so we can be the most prosperous nation in the world. And so Lewis and Clark started this journey. And as journeymen, they were re really trained in water navigation. So think about if you've ever been to the Ekoi River with uh, whitewater rafting. Our team for staff retreat did whitewater rafting. It was a blast. But, you know, you're trusting your life to one of these river guides. And these river guides, uh, they weren't really trained at the Ekoi 
uh, in life training techniques. It's some hipster kid who probably can't pass a drug test, who's living in a tent and, and hanging out and smoking weed all day. And you're like, we're trusting our lives to this hippie. And they know the river, though. They know every turn. They know every which way it goes. They know the rapids. And same way Lewis and Clark, they, were, they knew the water. They knew how the water worked. They knew the rapids. They knew how to navigate the rivers. And so the whole plan was to journey up from the Mississippi, up the Missouri River, to find the source of the Missouri River, because they thought the source would lead them to a source down, a river down from the Missouri, all the way to the Pacific Ocean. They knew that as America as a continent, it kind of had this incline upward to the Missouri River. And they thought on the other side of the Missouri River, it would be a sharp decline or, or a descent down to the Pacific River. So they literally thought once they got to the top and they found the source of the Missouri River, it was all downhill from there. They literally thought most of the work would be on the front half and then they would coast down to the Pacific Ocean. And so they find the source of this Missouri River. And that the source was this spring, ice cold, natural spring water. And they both picked up this water and they slurped it up to enjoy this whole first half of their journey. Knowing that the second half, because every map up to this point showed this descent down to the Pacific Ocean. And they were excited, they were happy that the worst part of their journey was over. But then as they looked out upon the other side of this Missouri River, they didn't see a slight descent to the Pacific Ocean. They saw mountains like they'd never seen before. They saw the Rockies. They'd seen the Smoky Mountains with their trees on the top of their mountains, you know, rolling hills that no one had ever seen in America. Rocky mountains, steep peaks and inclines. And so you have these water navigators, these river guides who now planned on canoeing from the source of the Missouri River all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Now there is no water route. So, so what happens when what you plan on doing or what you plan on happening takes a sharp, drastic turn? What happens when your dreams come into an obstacle? Because this place where, where Lewis and Clark were was called Limhigh Pass. And Limhigh Pass is literally the continental divide where America was split into two separate categories. And, and one historian said it like this. I'm going to read it to you. It says this. It says, this is where the geography of hope hope of this new world, of this river source, this water navigation, this slight descent, this coasting on the second half of our journey was overcome by the geography of reality. And maybe for you, that's what 2020 has been for you. You had high hopes and high dreams. Maybe for 2021, you, you're renewing those hopes, renewing those dreams, renewing those New Year's resolutions. But maybe you've been overcome by a geography of reality. That maybe you had hopes for your marriage, but now the reality is there's not much hope left in your marriage. Or maybe it's for your finances. You had hope for your business or your job or your career, but now it's the reality of it's not going the way you thought it would go. Maybe for your spiritual walk, there was hope that things would be different this year, but maybe there's a reality. Maybe like Lewis and Clark, you find yourself now looking at mountains instead of a coasting ride. And this is just what happened with the Israelites. They're coming out of Egypt they're coming out of the wilderness. They can see the promised land, but there's obstacles between them and the promised land. And Joshua chapter 3 says it like this. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from Shittim. Watch your mouth when you say that. Be careful around the kids. And they came to the Jordan. He and all the people 
of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, you shall set out from your place and follow it. So when you see the Ark of the Covenant, follow it. When you see the presence of the Lord, follow it. When you see the presence of God, follow it. That's what Joshua's trying to explain to all these people who find themselves just like Lewis and Clark, where there's a geography of hope and a geography of reality. He says, yet there shall be a distance between you and it, referring to the Ark of the Covenant. About 2,000 cubits in length, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. You've never been here before. You've never walked this direction before. You've never been in 2021 before. You've never been in this destination before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Joshua finds himself having a geography of hope that God has given them this promised land. He's given them this dream. Moses isn't going to see it. The people that died in Egypt aren't going to see it. The people that died in the wilderness aren't going to see it. But now he's seeing it, but yet there's a flooding Jordan River between them and their promise. So maybe it's not a mountain. Maybe it's a river. There's enemies on the other side of the river. And here's Joshua looking at his people, trying to figure out what should we do. And he realizes we've never been this way before. You've never been in a situation as a leader, a pastor, business owner, where you've led through a pandemic before. You've never been to 2021 before, but I'm telling you, you've never passed that way before. We are following God right now in uncharted territory. None of the Israelites had ever been in Canaan. Twelve, the 12 spies had been there, but none of the, the masses had ever been there before. They were in uncharted territory. Right now, I believe the church is in a place where we're literally following God into uncharted territory. Even just a few months ago, I was on my way to Michigan for a retreat. I was there, I flew into the Atlanta airport, and I've flown into the Atlanta airport numerous times through boutique air and muscle shoals. And it's always the same gate, the same terminal, same concourse, everything. We flew in, and they took us to a different gate. So I asked the, the, the attendant, I said, why are we going to a different gate? He said, oh, well, COVID, they moved our gate. So I get out at the E concourse in Atlanta, which is the international concourse. It's usually flooded with people. I walk in, it's empty. It's like the apocalypse happened. I thought maybe the rapture happened while I was on the plane. I walk to the food court. The food court, the chairs are on tables. They're wrapped in plastic. All the restaurants, all the fast food places, there's gates over everything. It's empty. That is what 2020 has been. It's been uncharted territory. It's been a different world. The path we're on right now is completely different than any of us have ever walked before in our lives. Teachers are teaching virtually. They've never went this way before. Business owners adapting their businesses, their model to, to serve in a, in a pandemic or isolation or quarantine or shutdowns. We've never been this way before. See, we've never been this way before. But the good news is even though you've never been this way before, 
even though we don't know what 2021 holds, even though it's uncharted territory, even though we may not know the way, even though we may not know where we're going or exactly what's happening or what tomorrow brings, we do know this, that our present pathway may be new to us. It may be new to you. It may be a new destination. It may be a new outlook. It may be a new perspective, a new venture, a new dream, a new hope. Maybe for you it's a new temptation or a new trial, a new struggle, a new diagnosis, uh, whatever it may be. It may be new to you, but it is not new to God. See, with all these Israelites, all these Hebrews, they're looking at this Jordan River overflowing with water, looking at this obstacle between them and their promise. None of these, none of these Israelites came through Egypt through the Red Sea. None of them saw the Red Sea being parted. None of them watched the Red Sea part as Moses stuck his staff into the water. So none of them had seen that miracle before. None of them had seen an obstacle that seemed impossible become possible through God's power. So the only person that had seen a similar situation before, the only person that had seen waters part before was not you was not me, was not Joshua, it was God. Which that tells us no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad it looks right now, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how tough the temptation, no matter how tough the trial, no matter how tough it is right now, no matter how new it seems to you, no matter what it feels like, God has been in your shoes before. Jesus came from heaven to earth to understand every temptation of man, to understand every emotion of man, every struggle of man, everything the enemy threw against man, every single trial. There's not a single trial that's new under the sun. God has seen it all, which means you have somebody in your corner that knows how to navigate what you're going through. Problems in your marriage, not new to God. He's navigated this pathway before. New issues in your business, God has navigated this pathway before. A pandemic, God has navigated pandemics before. Temptations in your mind or in your heart and your spirit, God has seen it all before. So we have someone in our corner that is working with us to lead us, to guide us, to direct us through what is stopping us to get us to the other side. Nothing is new under the sun. God has seen it all. The problem is it's uncharted territory for us. That we're literally walking in uncharted territory. So if we're going to walk and navigate uncharted territory, we have to. Listen to me. I know I say this all the time, but we have to to get back to following the word and the spirit again. We have to get back to following the word and the spirit again. I believe one of the things that's going to happen in uncharted territory, because there are no routines or traditions or models or consultants or coaches that know how to navigate this new territory God is taking us to. And I believe it is a new territory. But it's a new season, a new territory for the church, for God's people, None of us know the way. And so for too many years and too many generations, the church has followed everything but the word and the spirit. Some have followed the word and they've become very structured and very dependent upon what the word of God says, which is good. Some have been completely dependent on the spirit of God, following the gifts of the spirit and the miracles and signs and wonders. That is good. But when the two are not together, we end up going in the wrong direction. Directions And the greatest revival in the history of the world is going to come when those two come together. 
And for too long, the church has followed traditions, it's followed methods, followed church growth strategies, it's followed uh, curriculums, it's followed methodologies, it's followed philosophies, it's followed all these different things. And God is saying, there's no curriculum for uncharted territory. There are no church growth consultants for uncharted territory. We have to get back to following the spirit and the word again. So I'm going to ask you this question. So the first time God walked the Hebrews through water on dry land was the Red Sea. So the question is, who went first into the Red Sea? It wasn't the Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't, didn't exist yet. It, it wasn't the Spirit of God. It was Moses and his staff. So the first time God moved his people through an impossible situation, the first time God moved them into uncharted territory, they followed a man and his staff or his resources or his tool or his strategies. So the first time God says, follow this man and his handmade or man-made strategy or utensil, follow him into or out of bondage. But this time, God didn't tell Joshua, I want you to go first. So this time God is changing, he's shifting it up a little bit. He said, I don't want you to follow a man because a man doesn't know this way before. See, we forget that Moses had been in the wilderness before because he was a shepherd in the wilderness. So Moses knew the direction, he knew where to go. So God said, you can follow this man through the wilderness because he knows the lay of the land. He has a staff that he's carried with him before. So they were trusting in man-made resources. This time God says, you can't follow Joshua because Joshua's never been this way before. So Joshua, I don't want you to go first. I want the Ark of the Covenant to go first. So the principle may be this, that in order to get out of bondage, we follow a man. So maybe for some of you, you followed a man out of bondage. You followed the preaching of the gospel or a preacher who preached the gospel. It got you out of sin and into a relationship with Jesus. But in order for you to occupy your promises or go into the next level of development for your spiritual growth, it's not following pastor. It's not following preachers. It's not following Furtick. It's not following T.D. Jakes. It's following the presence and the word of God into your promises. Because what's in the Ark of the Covenant? There's two major things. There's a couple of things, but one of the things is the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God dwelt on earth. So you could say it was full of the Spirit of God. But also the tablets of Moses or the Ten Commandments or the law or the word was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of the word and the Spirit. They didn't just follow the word. They didn't just follow the spirit. They follow the word and the spirit. And so I believe we find ourselves just like Joshua and the Israelites. We're coming out of a wilderness season, a season of chaos, a season of wandering, and a season of wondering. What's next? What's going to happen in politics? What's going to happen in our nation? What's going to happen you know, with the church? What's going to happen with the business and finance and the stock market? And we're coming out of this wilderness moment, hopefully. But what's next is we have to learn to navigate unchartered spiritual territory. And the way to do that is just like the Hebrews did here, is one, the word of God must become our map to navigate the uncharted territory we are entering. The word of God must become our map. It must, it must become our map. Psalms 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Meaning the word of God is 
the directional. It's where we see the layout of the world. It's where we see what the plan of God is. It's where we see the direction of God and the strategies of God, the culture of God, the principles of God. It's where we find our directional layout in life. And Elizabeth George, great missionary, said this way, God's word is a map that you can safely follow as you travel through life. Meaning, so many people that I see, they're following everything but God's word. They're using every single other voice. And God's word, God's voice is written down on paper. And so many, especially this year, we've seen this. So many people follow all these other voices, voices of the news and social media and influencers and family and friends. They're following all these other voices. But God says his sheep will hear his voice and know his voice. And his voice is written down in this word. And he's given us. And it's time we start following it. Because I believe the church, I believe the church is lost right now. I talk to pastors all over the country. And I feel like the church is lost in looking for direction and they keep trying to go back to normal, or they keep trying to go back to Egypt when God is trying to bring the church into a new territory. So the church is lost, and believers, Christians, disciples are weak. And the reason why is our map has been closed for way too long. Like I said, two-thirds of Christians do not read their Bibles. And that's why so many believers look more like culture than they look like Jesus. And our desire here at Chapel is to see you awakened and empowered to live and love just like Jesus. And you cannot do that without following his map of instructions. We've depended on curriculums by Beth Moore and John Bevere and, and all these amazing authors who write great curriculums. We've depended on traditions and, and great preaching or entertaining preaching or topical preaching. What's happened is the more and more resources we have out there, the less and less we actually read God's resource and his guide, which is his written voice of God. Elizabeth Elliot also said this, the word of God I think of is a straight edge, which shows up on our crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. That's why so many people feel like their life is lived the right way because they never line it up against the straight edge of God's word. That's why we see marriage is weak, finances weak, churches weak, believers weak, is because we all think our way is right because we haven't lined it up against the straight edge of God's word in far too long. In 2021, one of my desires one of the things we've been working on is to have discipleship groups that are closed groups. I Meaning we're not, we're, they're invite only because we're going to develop leaders. We're going to develop disciples who can make other disciples. We want people to learn how to follow Jesus so they can teach other people how to follow Jesus. And one of the ways we're going to do that is, one of the things I think is missing in 2020, as our churches went through it, I've seen other churches go through it, other believers, is churches panicked because we had to produce content for our people because we know our people can't take God's word, read God's word, study God's word, apply God's word, and obey God's word themselves. Like we don't have people anymore that can just take God's word, sit across from the table with somebody else, and lead them through God's word to a place where they become to live and look more like Jesus. And so we have 
to build our churches around the word of God because it is the map to help us journey into the next season. It's uncharted, and the only map we have is God's word. So you have to learn to bring your Bibles. Next year, I'm pushing and pushing and pushing. I got this idea from a friend of mine in North Carolina. Quit bringing your phones to read the Bible off of a church. Bring a real paper, cut down trees. If you're a tree hugger, Greenpeace, EPA, global warming, I don't care. Cut down trees, get a real Bible. Because one, when you carry it, people will know who you're following. When you carry your phone, they don't know if you're following Jesus or you're following the Kardashians. Get a real Bible, carry it so people know who you are following. Two, learn how to use it, open it up. You need to learn how to flip through the pages because if your phone goes dead, this is the only thing that remains. So you can read a real Bible, apply it to your life, and obey it in real ways. Jonathan Bingle said this, apply yourself wholly to the scriptures, meaning wholly dedicate yourself to the scriptures, and apply the scriptures wholly to yourself. I mean, I'm gonna commit myself to the word And I'm going to let the word commit itself to me because we need the word of God to be our map in uncharted territory. But we also, we also need the spirit of God to become our compass to navigate this uncharted territory we're walking into. See, the word of God to be our map. So the map gives us the groundwork. It lets us know kind of how the world functions and the territory, the lay of the land. But the compass gives us the direction that God is moving at the current time. See, so many of us, depending on our movements we come from, we we try to get God to move towards us. We try to figure out how we can get God's attention, how we can get God to look at us and, and move in our direction. But a compass tells me, this is what the Spirit of God is doing right now. This this is where God is moving. And so it gives me the direction. So I start following where the Holy Spirit is moving. And so I try to move and try to get the Holy Spirit to follow me. Because I'm going to tell you this. The Holy Spirit's not going to follow you just because you want him to. He's going to start moving and he invites you into what he is doing. So we have a map, but we have a compass. So the compass says things shift and things change. We can always find ourselves, get back to where we need to be. We can always find out where God is moving. And right now we need to discern the times and figure out what is the Spirit of God doing right now. And I, I thought it was interesting in, in the scripture that we talked about in Joshua 3. He says, the Ark of the Covenant is going to go first and I want you to follow it. He says, yet keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between yourself and it. 2,000 cubits is about 3,000 feet, which is a long, almost a half mile. It's a, it's a long distance between you and the Ark of the Covenant. So to me, that's an interesting concept because he's saying, I want you to follow it, but just don't get too close. I mean, here's the presence of the Lord here on earth, and I want you to draw near, but don't draw too near. I, w- I want you to come closer, but don't come too close. And I think there's a couple of things that we can take from that because I think it's powerful because many of us just, well, there's a presence of God. Let's just get as close as we can. And some never move close at all. But here's the principle. The presence of God is intimate and comforting. I mean, the Holy Spirit is our counselor. He's our comforter. He draws us near. He wants us to be intimate with him and know him and know who he is and know his character, know what grieves him, know what hurts his feelings, know what he responds to. He wants us to know him as a person intimately. And he's a comforting 
presence. In the presence of God is joy, is freedom, is hope, is love. Yet, the presence of God is also sacred and powerful. Yes, he wants us to be intimate. But he also wants it to be a moment of reverence when we're in his presence. He wants it to be a moment where we revere him. We honor his presence when we're in his presence because he's still an all-powerful God. And I think that's what he's saying. Well, I want you to come close and be intimate, but don't forget to be sacred. Don't forget you're on holy ground. Don't forget you're in the presence of an all-powerful king. Don't forget you're in the presence of the creator who spoke things into existence, who's raised up kingdoms and brought kingdoms. Don't forget whose presence you're in. He wants to be intimate, but don't forget how powerful he is. And the difference between the two is honor. See, the difference between familiarity and intimacy is literally honor. That's why some of the disciples could get really, really close to Jesus, but they still honored him. They were intimate with him because they had an honor that he was Messiah. But then other people in his hometown, they they saw him and they were familiar with Jesus, but they didn't honor him. See, honor is what makes somebody who is intimate still all-powerful in your life. And if we were honest, there's probably two groups of people. There's a whole group of people that are so intimate with the Spirit, they no longer treat Him as King. There's a whole other group of people, they're so reverent in their traditions and in their methodologies of the church that they no longer are intimate with the Spirit. And I believe this next season of uncharted territory is a season of intimacy with the Holy Spirit is the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. But also a time where God is going to renew the fear of the Lord in the church. It's also a time where he's going to bring reverence and, and bring the sacred times of the Lord back to his church because he's going to start unleashing his power. That's why Joshua said, come close, but just don't come too close because you have no idea. You have no idea whose presence you are in. It reminded me in the old C.S. Lewis novel in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, where it said this. It said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, which is symbolism of Jesus. And he said, oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's Good. He's the king, I tell you. I Meaning we serve a king who's intimate but powerful. Is he safe? No, but he is more than good. He is loving. He is a father, yet a king. He is a savior, yet a leader. He has all these things wrapped up in one. In this next season, he says, come close. Just don't come too close because you have to know who you are approaching and why you are approaching him. He says, yeah, come close, just don't come too close. I think another reason for that is so many times that if we get too close, the crowd blocks us from seeing the focal point. I mean, I think there's so many, you think there's probably 4 million Hebrews here that if they all try to get too close and they surround themselves around the Ark of the Covenant, you can no longer see the Ark of the Covenant, you can only see the crowd. And I believe we've been in a season where the crowd has prevented us from seeing the presence of the Lord. 
that we built our churches around crowds and the crowds have prevented us from seeing the presence of God here on earth. Zacchaeus, he couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. He had to run past the crowd and climb up to get a better perspective. He actually had to outrun Jesus, create some distance between himself and Jesus so he could actually see Jesus over the crowd. And I mean, some of us need to know this. Some of you in high school, some of you in college, the crowd you're keeping is preventing you from seeing the presence of God in your life. Some of you, the crowd is preventing you from seeing the promises of God in your life. Some of you, the crowd is preventing you from walking in your God-ordained purpose. Some of you, the crowd is preventing you from walking into your promised land. Some of you, the crowd is keeping you from seeing the promises of God fulfilled in your life. The crowd, if you get too close, the crowd will prevent you from walking where God has called you to walk. He says, come close. Just don't come too close because you've never been this way before. Because if you get too close, catch this. If you get too close, you'll start following the crowd instead of the Spirit of God. Every great revival, every great movement draws a crowd. But at some point, the people start following the crowd instead of the Spirit of God. Remember years ago, I'm going to tell my age right here. Years ago, I, I was on leave from the Air Force. I was back home. Me and my best friend growing up were going to go to a Trick Daddy concert. So we had this Trick Daddy concert. We're walking up. So the concert, all of a sudden, people start running out of the club towards us. So we see them running. We start running. So we're running with them. We start asking people, man, hey, why are you running? They said, man, I don't, I don't know, man. There's gunshots. Somebody said guns. We started running. So we're like, man, we got to keep running. Ask somebody else, man, why are you running? I don't know. Somebody else is running. I started running. What we realized is we didn't know why we were running. We were running in a different direction because the crowd was moving in a certain direction. We turned around and walked up, nothing ever happened. And for some of you, you've been running in the wrong direction. You've been running away from God, even though nothing really happened. You're carrying other people's hurt. You're carrying the pain of the crowd. You're carrying the pain of maybe an entire race. Maybe some of you get this, with all apologies and sympathy, I can, I can scounge up. Some of you are carrying the pain of the crowd of your ancestors and generations of go, and it's keeping you from the Spirit of God right now. Some of you carrying the traditions of your family and your friends. Maybe it's racism, maybe it's heritage, and it's carrying you away from the Spirit of God. You have to be careful of the crowd. And I think one of the things God has done right now in the pandemic, and this is not geared towards those who've been staying at home and uh, watching your health because of health conditions or age or anything like that, if you think about it, he says, don't come too close because of the crowd. What has God been removing during the pandemic? The crowd. The crowd has been removed from the church so we can come together as the believers because the whole seeker movement has flooded the church with people who are not believers that are just part of the crowd that's prevented us from seeing the Spirit of God. And I believe we're going to see the greatest outpouring of the Spirit in the next few years in the church. Because the crowd is going to dissipate and the glory of God is going to fall down. The other times, I think one of the reasons he said this was, come close, just don't come too close. It's because, man, I, I just think about it. If I've been one of these Hebrews and I've been waiting for years, it's about years to see the promised land. 
You've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years, you've been wandering around the wilderness. For 40 years, wandering. Now, all of a sudden, Joshua tells you, you see on the other side of that river? You, you see over, over there? That's the promised land that God promised you and our ancestors and all our ancestors that were in slavery for 400 years, it was promised to them. All the way back to Abraham was promised. You see, we've been wondering, you're finally going to get to see it. And not just see it, you're going to place your feet on it. Not only are you going to place your feet on it, you're going to taste the milk and the honey. You're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. And they could see it. And now all of a sudden, Josh said, tomorrow we're going to pass over. We're going to see it. We're going to pass through this Jordan River. And we're going to walk into the promise. I guarantee you, the people would run into the promised land. And this is the problem Joshua's trying to cut off. He knows that the people of God are so excited about the promises that once those waters open up, they would run into the promised land. You say, well, Pastor, what's so big about that? They're excited. They're passionate. Because as they run, they would outrun the Ark of the Covenant. And they'd find themselves in the promised land, wandering around just like they did in the wilderness because they outran the presence of God. And I think one of the things we've probably done in church was so quick to want to grow, so quick to want to see God move, so quick to move that we've moved out in front of the Spirit of God. So what has God done during the pandemic? He's literally slowed us down. So we can re reconfigure, realign ourselves with the compass to find the direction that God is pointing his church in again. And last but not least, I believe the last thing God is doing is this new territory God is taking us into is going to require God's people to adapt. Because that's what Lewis and Clark had to learn to do, adapt from canoeing to mountain climbing, to adapt from being spiritual spectators to becoming spiritual warriors. I mean, this uncharted territory, this new land, this new season that God is placing in front of us. It's going to take people to move from spiritual spectators, pew fillers, seat fillers, watchers of the service, consumers of the ministry. They're going to have to adapt from consumers to producers. They're going to have to move from spectators to warriors, from watchers to doers, from hearers to doers. It's going to take an adaptation of the church to move from a consumer-based model to a production-based model or from a spectator model to a military model. That God is moving the church from a peacetime entertainment venue to a wartime military force because the enemy is in the new territory. And just like with the Hebrews, that God was giving them the promise but he says, you're going to have to occupy the promise. This is the key shift in God's philosophy. Because before, if you think about it, God led the Hebrews out of Egypt all on his own. They did nothing, nothing to get out of bondage, which is a sign or symbol or type of salvation. I Meaning you did nothing to get saved. You did nothing to get out of your bondage. God delivered you out of it. But then through the wilderness, God fed them. God led them, God watered them, God took care of them. Meaning he leads us and guides us. He sustains us through his grace. But for the new territory, God shifts this up a lot. God moves from me doing and me taking care of you to I've given you a promise, 
but now you have to occupy the promise. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. But these enemies, you're going to have to destroy them and get them out or remove these strongholds out on your own. This new season, God is sick and tired of the church catering to spectators. And God is raising up a military force, a spiritual army to begin to occupy territory that God wants on earth before Jesus comes back. And he's calling you to be a part of that spiritual warrior force or whatever we want to call it. And I think this is key right now. That discipleship groups, everything we're doing. He says in here, consecrate yourselves, which is a very fancy word to mean prepare yourself. He said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. I'm going to do wonders among you. God's saying, I'm going to do the wonders, but you better prepare yourself. Consecration means to be set apart from the world for the purposes of God. So for us, that means we need to get ready. Like we need to be ready for what God wants to do. We don't want to get ready. We want to be ready and stay ready. In January, we're going through 21 days of prayer and fasting. Why are we doing that, Pastor? Well, I put on a COVID 20 pounds. I need to get rid of for one. Two, every single time we go through seasons of prayer and fasting, God speaks, not just to the church, but to the people. We've seen businesses start during prayer and fasting. We've seen people healed miraculously through prayer and fasting. But we also know it realigns us back with the voice of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, but it prepares us for God to do a mighty work in and through us the rest of the year. And so I want to encourage you, and I'm going to talk about it next week, and we're going to talk about it the next two weeks. But in January, 21 days of prayer and fasting starting in mid-January to help you consecrate yourself so that God can do mighty wonders in your life and through your life. Because 2021 is going to be much different than 2020. God is taking us into uncharted territory. And I'm going to close. I know you're all waiting for me to close. I'm going to close. But this is the word that a friend of mine gave me way back in March. He was in New York pastoring a church. We had not closed down yet. And that's asking, his name is Zach, great friend of mine, Zach Hensley. He's at the Rock Church outside of San Francisco. You should follow him on everything he has. I've learned more, from prayer, more about prayer from Zach than anybody else in my life. So I trust Zach, and I asked Zach, I said, what do, you, what do you feel like God is doing? They already shut down. It was, you know, worst case scenario, end of the world type scenarios there in March. He said, well, in December, he said, I took my sabbatical, and I started reading some just some world history books, like novels and stories and he said, I just wanted my brain to rest and relax. And he said, I, I read a couple of books on World War II history. He said, and one of them stuck out. He said, in World War II, the Nazis were getting ready to take over the world 10 years beforehand. They were de developing infantry. They were developing tanks for the first time in history. Warplanes and uh, different cannons and weaponry and all these chemical gases. All these amazing, powerful tools of destruction. He said, for 10 years, they're building up all this material and weaponry. And he said, they plan to march through Belgium in just a matter of days and practice all their strategies, practice all these weapons, use the tanks, use the weapons just to get a good practice in. So they go into Belgium, it should took two or three days to march from one side of Belgium all the way other than destroy France. They get to Belgium and what should have took two or three days took months upon months upon months and it was a complete bloodbath. 
So as the generals on the front line, the commanders, the, the leaders on the front line started dying off, they started promoting people from within up. And they noticed as people started dying off and they started promoting people from within, they started advancing through Belgium. And they came to this place of where they realized that there was a difference between a peacetime general and a wartime general. That a peacetime general, they're great at looking at maps and strategizing and planning and training and practicing and, and running the playbook. But wartime generals, they have to be able to fight. They have to be able to be bold and courageous and strong. And I think the same principle is this. He said, Zach said this. He said, I believe God is moving us from a peacetime strategy to a wartime strategy. Meaning there's a lot of peacetime pastors that are out there. Meaning they can go to the church growth conference. They can get the right production. They can get the right marketing plan. They, they can raise the right money. They can do the right events. But when the war breaks out, they don't have the courage. They don't have the experience from fighting spiritual battles. And they pull back because they were designed to train for peacetime. I believe what God is saying, listen to me very clearly. I believe the church has made a transition from peacetime social club to wartime military. And I believe God is calling you, he's calling your family, he's calling your friends, he's calling me to enlist in, to enlist in an army not to join a social club. He's calling you to consecrate yourself. He's calling you to follow the word to follow the Spirit, and to get ready because the spiritual battles that are going to ensue are going to call for veterans, spiritual veterans, to pick up their shields and tell the weaker people to follow me as I follow the Lord. God is calling you in 2021 to get rid of your lukewarm Christianity and pick up a passionate desire to follow the Lord of the Lord's army to follow the king and to see us occupy new territory so that when our king comes back, he has a people, he has a land that he can occupy himself. That's my prayer. My prayer for you is that right now you make a commitment. You make a dedication that 2021 is going to be the year you give your all to Jesus and his mission and his church. You're coming out of 2020. And this is now a new, uncharted territory that God wants you and his church to begin to occupy. That you make a commitment, you make a promise that you're going to be wherever God is, you're going to be. And you're going to follow him and you're going to fight the good fight of faith. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these, your people. And I pray for every single person that's watching this video, whether it's today live, whether it's in the future, whenever they find this video on Facebook or YouTube or online. And Father, this, this, this teaching provokes their spirit to begin following the word and the spirit again and to begin moving from a spectator to a participator in the mission of our King. So Father, I pray that you allow for the things of the past, 2020, for us not to remember the old, but to look towards the new. As Father, I pray that you're raising up an army. I pray you're calling people right now to consecrate themselves, to put aside the things of the world, to pick up the things of the Spirit. That this year, they're going to be people, 21 days of prayer and fasting, they're going to be passionate 
about praying and fasting and seeking your face and preparing themselves for the wonders you're going to do amongst them. Father, they're looking towards your word. They're going to start holding your word, reading your word, applying your word, and obeying your word. That this is the year of the word and the spirit. This is the year of discipleship and disciple making in their lives. So Father, I just pray for power to rise up in them. I pray for passion to overflow within them. And Father, I pray for the greatest move of your spirit that our church has ever known to happen in 2021. I pray to you of great and intense favor upon your people. Father, as you lead us, as you guide us, help us to stay in tune with what you're doing and what you're saying. And give us the, the strength and the wisdom to obey and to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapel family, I love you. I'm so excited about 2021, what God's going to do. And I'm just encouraging you, come with us on the journey. Let's see what God can do with us together. We love you. In Jesus' name, we'll see you next week.